0: From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. On, ...on Friday, and that
1: $325 billion of additional goods sent to us by China remain untaxed, but will be shortly at a rate of 25%. Now, officially, the foreign ministry said that the Chinese...
0: President Trump increased tariff rates on $200 billion in Chinese goods on May 10th, including products from seafood to electronics. Trump's trade policy is the area where he most annoys congressional Republicans, some of whom have coalesced around legislation that would curtail his power. They are now under more pressure to act. My guests today are Clark Packard, a trade policy counsel at the R Street Institute, a right-leaning think tank. In Foreign Policy magazine this month, Clark warns of grave economic consequences if Congress fails to act. And later, I'll talk to Ellen Ferguson, CQ's trade reporter, about the prospects for legislation. Welcome, Clark. Thanks for having me. So, Clark, you warned in your piece about grave consequences if Congress does not move to rein in the president's trade power, not just this president, but all presidents going forward. What kind of consequences are you talking about?
2: Well, look, if you, if you think about what's happened over the last year, the president has engaged in aggressive unilateral uh, imposition of tariffs. Um, and what you will see is higher prices for consumers, both families and, and individual firms that are reliant on imports. Uh, you'll see complicated supply chains uprooted. Um, you will see uh, angered allies. Um, it, it, this really has the potential to spiral out of control.
0: And you note in the piece that the Constitution actually gives Congress the power over tariffs. But what's to think Congress would use that power more wisely than the president?
2: Well, if you look back on history, um, Congress for the first, I don't know, 150 years approximately, set tariff rates on individual products. They voted tariff line by tariff line. Uh, And that process ultimately culminated in in the disastrous Smoot-Hawley tariffs of 1930, which I mentioned in my piece, which those ra-
0: exacerbated the Great Depression.
2: Exactly. Yeah, they they certain folks want to argue that they caused the Great Depression. I don't think that the economics bear that out. Um, I think that they they were just ill timed. the The country had already slipped into recession, and this it just exacerbated and lengthened the pain. As I mentioned in the piece, it increased nine hundred tariffs, and, and the average tariff in the United States drastically increased. And it, it was sort of the culmination of a, a really unseemly log rolling process where I'll vote for your tariff increase that matters for your parochial concern if you'll vote for the, you know, reciprocate and vote for mine. Um, and it became very apparent very quickly that that process was a mistake. And it caused, again, it, it prolonged, deepened the 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 Great Depression and also angered a lot of allies at a time of, of rising nationalism, you know, the early 1930s. And and I just don't want to see the United States sort of follow that same path that that we did in that we pursued in the 1930s. So how
0: could Congress uh, assume more power, take back more power over tariffs, but avoid that kind of special interest influence that led to the misguided decisions uh, in the 1930s?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the major question, right? How do you retain some of this authority that the Constitution grants to Congress without creating the institutional dynamics that led to Smoot-Hawley. Uh, and, and thankfully, there have been put forward by, by various members of Congress thoughtful approaches to do this, one of which would basically say that if the president wants to impose tariffs under various statutes, statutory authority he has, before those tariffs could go into effect, Congress would have to approve them. And, and thankfully, Senator Toomey uh, from Pennsylvania and Senator Warner from Virginia have proposed a bipartisan bill uh, that would restrict the president's national security powers to raise tariffs and, and subject those to congressional approval before they could go into effect.
0: They would take it out of the Commerce Department's hands, too, and write, a, give it to the Defense Department, which you think would make wiser decisions?
2: Yeah, I do. I think, frankly, the, the U.S. Department of Commerce is generally sort of swampy, a, a factory of crony capitalism in my mind. Um, and a lot of folks on the center-right think the the same way.
0: And but it's I, working for the business interests.
2: Yeah, right, as opposed to the consumer interest or or the national security interests, mm-hmm. uh, because if you go back and look at um, General Mattis, when he was Secretary of, of Defense, wrote a memo to Secretary Ross about this issue, the, the, the 232 on steel and aluminum, and he was very, very skeptical of, of this claim that Steel and aluminum imports jeopardize national security. And so I think that the United States Department of Defense is better suited to make determinations on whether or not something impacts the national security of the country than the U.S. Department of Commerce.
0: Right. Trump has used this authority, Section 232, which was a provision in a 1962 trade law that Gives the president the power to impose tariffs for national security reasons. So, for example, on steel and aluminum, he said, "We need to be making our own steel and aluminum so that our defense industry has, you know, steel and aluminum in the event of a conflict, and right. that our trade partners don't want to provide it anymore." Right. And you say a lot of the that reasoning has been on very flawed grounds. But you also note that the U.S. courts have upheld the president's power in this area. So, I mean, that would strike me that.
2: Uh, you know, maybe Trump has an argument. So I, I think historically, if you look back, our court system has generally been fairly deferential on claims of national security. They don't want to impinge on Article 2 authority, uh, national security and foreign policy authority of the president. But the the case that was decided at the U.S. Court of International Trade back in late March was a two to one decision. Um, and the dissent basically said, look, I don't see the, the author of the dissent said, I don't see... The national security nexus here. But I, I, as I mentioned in the piece, I think that it's very likely the United States Supreme Court, where it's being appealed to now, uh, the, the Supreme Court, I, I don't think, is going to either grant cert and, and hear the case, or if they did, I don't think they'd come down on the side of the steel importers that brought the case. I, I think that ultimately they're going to be deferential to. to those determinations made by the executive branch.
0: Now the Chinese have imposed uh, tariffs on our products yep. uh, in retaliation, for example, on American soybeans, which they buy a ton of, or at least used to. Yet Republicans in Congress have not really, ra- you know, gone to the mat on this issue. I would say, <laughs> you know, despite some raising issues like Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, and and you mentioned Charles Grassley, the 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 Iowa Republican senator, also looking into this. But for the most part. They've complained, but they haven't uh, really pressed Trump on it. Have you been surprised that they haven't gone further?
2: Not really. Frankly, I, I think that you can view these issues somewhat separately. On one hand, you have China, um, and there's, there seems to be a bipartisan uh, sort of emerging consensus that China really does engage in questionable uh, trade policy practices. But it, again, it's, it's bigger than just trade, right? The, this conflict with China is is about sort of managing China's rise and how the United States is going to react. Uh, But I I view that as at the intersection of trade, national security, and technology. And then on the other side of the ledger would be the issue of national security claims regarding steel and aluminum and the potential for tariffs involving automobiles. And I think that that's potentially the next shoe to drop. Um, but, But I am not... At this point, surprised that, that Republican members in Congress are not more outspoken. I mean,
0: they they're saying basically, a lot of these members in trade-dependent districts that they're willing to give Trump some leeway here because they do think that China has been unfair with us.
2: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I, I would point back to Bob Lightheiser, the the USTR testified. The trade representative, yeah, the, the United the trade States representative. He he testified before the Ways and Means Committee in late March, and not one single Republican asked a really thoughtful question about how to manage China. It was all basically rah rah, who can outhawk whom, on the committee, and, and give them just like you said enormous leeway. But I, you know, I've been incredibly skeptical of the the Trump administration's approach to China. I think that China poses very serious problems between intellectual property abuse and theft. Um, forced technology transfer,
0: requiring uh, our companies to give our technology away as a condition of doing business. Yes,
2: there. and um, cyber intrusions into commercial businesses, and, and also massive state-owned subsidy or sta- subsidies to massive state-owned enterprises. And I just I don't think tariffs are, are the answer to that. I think it's a sort of a multi-pronged, multifaceted. Uh, approach that the United States should be embracing. And I just I don't think that the administration really grasps the gravity of, of this situation. And it's not something that's going to be solved over the next five months or five years, even this is like a 10, 15, 25 year long process.
0: Clark, the president also says that the tariffs have brought in a lot of revenue, the tariffs, the the fees themselves that the Chinese must pay, and that that's been beneficial for the United States.
2: The money we have pouring in now, we've never had money like that pouring in from China. We are collecting billions and billions of dollars, mostly paid for by China. Does that make it worth it? No. Um, there have been two very serious academic studies that looked at this, looked at the, the what economists and trade lawyers call tariff incidents. In other words, who is paying the tariff? Who's bearing the brunt? And In two recent studies, uh, one from the New York Fed came out and said 100% of that is being passed along to U.S. consumers. So when the president goes out and says, No, 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 it's China, Chinese exporters that are paying this. That's false. It's the United States consumer that's bearing the brunt of of the tariffs.
0: You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm going to turn now to CQ trade reporter Ellen Ferguson for the state of play on Capitol Hill. So, Ellen, do you see any movement on Capitol Hill as a result of Trump's action?
1: Right now, no. There's a lot of shrugging and hand-wringing and letter-writing, but uh, I don't see any sort of momentum for any real action. Senator uh, Grassley, who is chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, is still negotiating, trying to negotiate some sort of compromise bill that would give Congress some oversight, some power, authority, over Section 232 tariffs. Those are the ones that have been applied to aluminum and steel. The national security. The national security provision. But uh, there still is not a bill. They've been negotiating for a while, and it's unclear whether they're going to, when they might come up with a compromise. Now, he seems to think that if things get bad enough, that that might possibly be a catalyst for um, senators to kind of drop whatever sort of um, small objections or objections that they have to coalesce around some sort of bill that would give Congress some uh, control over the, the tariffs, but that is, still remains to be seen.
0: What's the dynamics amongst the Democrats? I mean, you had Senator Schumer this week say he basically was happy that Trump was moving forward with additional, uh, with raising the tariff rates. I don't agree with President Trump on a whole lot, but today I want to give him a big pat on the back. He is doing the right thing when it comes to China. China is ruthless in how they go after us.
1: Well, Senator Schumer, I think it is an example of how there is bipartisan support for taking on China to a certain degree. Uh, Congress, by and large, wants to be on the sidelines. It doesn't want to have the doesn't appear to want to have the responsibility for that. Uh, Senator Schumer has been a longtime critic of China. Has. Uh, authored several bills on uh, currency manipulation aimed at China. So it was not, un- not surprising that he supported... Right. And,
0: uh, he's in a very prominent position, I he's should mention. Prominent- he's the Senate minority leader, the, the um, Senator Schumer from New York. Um, what about in the House, though, where the Democrats have the ma- majority? Can you see that, uh, Nancy Pelosi bringing forward legislation that would restrict Trump's trade authority?
1: I don't see it at this point. I haven't heard much talk about that. Uh, There is a bill, a companion companion bill, to at least one of the Senate bills uh, that would address the national security. This was uh, the Terry
0: Sewell, Jackie Walorski, Darren LaHood, Ron Kind legislation on Section 232, which it doesn't have very many other co-sponsors beyond those four, that bipartisan group.
1: Well, they're all members of the Ways and Means Committee, which is, along with the Finance Committee, is they share jurisdiction over trade. But I don't see anyone, any kind of steam building o- over that. And it's not something that Speaker Pelosi has uh, has addressed. As I said, there's a lot of letter writing. Um, Representative Warlarski and Sewell sent out, uh, headed up a letter that went out to the economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, um, with about 157 of their colleagues saying, don't go through with auto tariffs, which would be applied under the national security provisions of Section 232. But so far, that's it. As I said, there's a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of concern. They They listen to their constituents. Um, but so far there doesn't seem to be a lot of fire in Congress to actually take on the president and take back some of their authority.
0: Are you see, hearing anything from the business groups, business lobbyists? Are they oh, raising definitely.
1: their voices? Oh definitely. They've been raising their voices for a while. They've been I went to a, um, a presentation this week by um, a service uh, industry and it was primarily on the new NAFTA, the proposed agreement to replace the current, North American Free Trade Agreement, but the tariffs came up. They have been affected by it. They have their suppliers affected by it, and and so there is concern. And they represent what businesses have been doing for several months. They have been writing to their lawmakers. They have been making office visits. They have been visiting with them in their districts, saying, "This is costing us money. This is hurting our bottom line." I was on a conference call today. Uh, Sponsored by tariffs hurt the heartland. They had several small business owners, including a farmer, and some other people who are small business owners who are saying, look, at 10%, that was starting to hurt. And we have passed on some That was call. the original tariff Th- that rate. That was the, the original tariff rate for China. We, you know, we're, we're, we're awash in tariffs. So we got Section 232, which is nas- national security and has been applied to aluminum. And steel, and then we have Section 301, which are tariffs that have been applied exclusively to Chinese imports. And this was a call on the Chinese imports. And they were saying, if it goes up to 25%, it's a 15% increase. We've gotten, you know, less than a week's notice for this. We kind of sort of thought it might be happening, but it had been on hold for a while it's going to hurt our bottom line quite a bit. Some businesses may not survive this. So they were raising the concerns and the businesses have not been quiet about this. But
0: with the economy booming, they're shouting in the dark until we actually see some economic One of the
1: One of the problems and one of the challenges is trade overall is generally good for certain sectors. and It depends on what sector you're in. And so that means that when something goes bad in trade, There are sectors that are adversely affected. It's not the entire economy. So you see it more if you happen to be in a town where you have businesses, small or large, who rely on either exports, selling their goods overseas, and they're now facing retaliatory tariffs that make their goods non-competitive, Or you see it with companies that import parts for things that they put together for a product. They're paying a higher fee to bring those things in. So you see it if you happen to be in the community where you have a concentration of those industries. If you're somewhere else, it's sort of like a distant cry. But, you know, these people are saying the hurt is real, and eventually um, consumers are going to feel it more and more as larger businesses start to pass along those costs.
0: All right, Ellen. We'll look forward to your future reports at CQ.com and RollCall.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And a special thank you to our producer, Tula Vlahu. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.